I'm actually going to turn my camera off now, if that's okay with everyone, just because um, I don't think you need to see me. Oh, well, if everyone else has got rid of their cameras, I'll feel self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome to the second Escape Pod, uh, the new podcast series from Escape Technology. I'm Jason Jenner, and today we'll be talking about remote workflows, specifically with Autodesk Flame, and the challenges faced by content creation studios um, with that particular topic. Um, as always, we'll need a little bit of help, so we are uh, joined by my colleagues, Lee Danskin, uh, our CTO, and um, and our senior engineer and flame specialist, Tim Harcourt. Uh, and our special guest is Mr. Derek Moore, um, CEO of Coffee and TV. Um, Derek, uh, good afternoon. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Lovely. Thank you for joining us. Um, I think just to get going, it would be really helpful if you could just give us a, a, a sort of a brief history of Coffee and TV, who you guys are, um, and um, and the type of work and type of projects that you guys take on. Uh, sure. So we're um, we try to be a very high-end visual content creation studio. Uh, we started in 2012. Uh, four of us were artists for many years for playing, you know, with the, with the big guys. Um, and we uh, we we actually started with a crazy notion that we wouldn't ever need a, a studio, and we just work remotely and connect to each other via the internet. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like to think we were ahead of our time, but actually we just got it completely <laughs> wrong. We we, we 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 did start that way, but very quickly we realised we needed to present work to clients and they wanted to come in and see us and that whole thing so so we ended up um taking some uh, studio space in soho and that kind of grew and we you know now we're about about 40 people a few freelancers got a couple of floors in a nice uh, nice studio in broadwick street um and the uh, yeah the working from home thing has uh, has come back with a vengeance so uh, so we do um high-end projects for broadcasters for advertisers for production companies mainly short form things but we uh, we dabble in the odd little feature film as well occasionally uh, a lot of cgi a lot of animation a lot of flame work as uh, as you say so uh so we're kind of at the, at the front line of this kind of thing i think um and you guys have been a massive help to us in getting us uh, working remotely um thank you for that derek so yeah how how kind of amusing <laughs> that you that you were you were imagining a remote studio at the very outset of the business and then he, here we are today working under precisely those restrictions okay so could you um could you just um expand a little bit on on escape's role as a support partner to coffee and tv because obviously we, we we do various bits of work with you guys we i think we've been working with you since very much from the beginning what, what's hard for a startup studio is having access to what even being able to afford an engineer is, is a luxury in sort of bootstrapping time is when you're starting a visual effects company uh so having you guys to support us as and when we needed rather than having to employ somebody full-time was massively helpful and then as we've grown we thought at some point we would like hire our own engineer and or an engineering team um, yeah. but actually that hasn't worked it, it's been great to work with you guys in that you've got such a broad range of specializations more than we would ever get from one or two or three engineers that um, that it's really helpful to have that specialization on tap that we can call and you'll come and solve whatever our issues are well that's very kind of you to say thank you that was a that was a, a shameless plug there which, uh, which we'll, 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 we'll take that we'll take that um, but um, so talking about um, obviously this this, this is all moving towards a discussion around um, remote working. When, when the, you've talked about the, the imagination that you might have a, a remote studio in the in the early days, and and that didn't come to pass, and you ended up with a, a more traditional, physically based infrastructure. But as you, can we just talk about the recent recent events? I mean, as the sort of COVID nineteen 
pandemic started to unfold with 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 a vengeance, you know, earlier in the year. How did you see that all? I mean, how because I think you guys were quite early in recognising that you would need to change something. I mean, what, what discussions were, were going on with you and your partners in the business? What did you, how did you see it all? I think you're right. I think we were the first studio to get fully remote and, and tell everybody about it, uh, that we could do that. Um, I think we were at just the right size. I'd like to say we were the smartest or the ahead of the curve, but actually I think we yeah. were just, you know, big enough to be able to have the resources like you guys help us out and not so big that we couldn't really pivot or change the, the model that quickly. Um, yeah. So we, so we were lucky in terms of the size we were at. Um, we were also lucky with um, some of the technology that we've chosen. All of it has been able to be you know, off-sited uh, successfully, and that's not been the case with some of our competitors. So um, so really, you know, times like this is, you know, first thing was to do was to keep our staff safe. So we worked, we reacted really quickly to make sure that people weren't on public transport and were able to stay at home and connect interactively we've always had a i mean the other big part of this i think is the culture we've always had a very big uh, emphasis on trust and letting people be who they want to be in internally our staff so we trust them if they want to work from home we've always been able to work from home like one or two or three people at a time the only change now is that everybody suddenly had to do it together at the same time so the technology and the systems and the processes of um, communication particularly but also connectivity have have always been there um, with the exception of remote flame as we'll talk about later I'm sure um, but the um, the mindset was always there so it's very easy for us to just to turn the switch and say right now tomorrow or in fact we started with everybody who can work from home please do um, or, or in fact actually ahead of the curve was if you'd like to work from home now now's your chance we're not going to monitor we previously we would try to balance people working from home and being in the studio and working from home seemed to be a little bit of a, a privilege for some people uh, so we just quickly got rid of that stigma it's like right if anybody wants to work from home now's your chance off you go and then it became mandated of like if you can work from home now please do uh, and then obviously the last stage was right office is shut you're all working from home <laughs> yeah it was a sort <laughs> no of three, stage, three stages of lockdown weren't there it was like oh if you wouldn't mind if you you can you know and it was if you can you reach and there was you might at home <laughs> it was like stage yeah. three um yeah. okay so i think what what i'd also like to ask is is i think um i think a lot of studios would have felt this i mean did, did you you know what what level of concern and pressure did you feel because presumably you had projects that were underway that were in flight with deadlines that you knew you had to hit um and obviously we're suddenly facing what was potentially going to be a pretty big change in terms of the way that you were going to work. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I do think in the early stages, the, the sort of business need was secondary to the public health crisis. You know, I think mm -hmm. that we've all focused a lot on, on work and projects and stuff, but actually we didn't know at that stage quite how serious this was going to prove. And obviously it's proven to be very serious. Um, but, it, you know, at that point it could have been like really bad. So we were really keen just to focus on making sure everybody was safe. And that was the, that was the priority in the beginning and that we were doing the right thing for the spread of the virus from the for our social responsibility. So, yeah, we should, I, should, I think that was the focus in the beginning. And then when you realise that, okay, now we've got everybody away and now we've got these projects to deliver, that's when the creative problem-solving uh, hat got worn. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, that, that is, to some extent, that is what we do as a business. You know, we solve problems, right? like at that sort of high end that we, the work that we create has never been created before. What, every, every project, we're creating something new. We're doing something technically challenging or creatively challenging. 
Um, so this, in some respects, was a similar sort of mindset of, right, okay, this is this is what what the picture looks like, and these are these amazing people that we've got to call on. How do we solve this problem? Uh, and you guys were a massive part in that, um, and we were lucky to be able to call on you from our technical perspective. Of, you know, there was a lot to sort out in a very short period of time. But at some point, it was also quite exciting at that point. It was like, it was a really, you know, it's almost thrilling challenge to try to solve really quickly. For, as you say, there are lots of projects live. Mm. And in short form, you know, we don't have that luxury of time to solve them. You know, they were, that things were being delivered as we were removing people out of the studio. So it was, um, it was quite hairy, but it was also, well, I, I never, once, from one moment, thought that we wouldn't be able to deliver projects or solve, solve the problems that we were going to face. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was good. Okay, cool. Well, let, let's move on to a little bit about Flame specifically. Then, I mean, give us an indication or an insight. You know, I mean, how 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 pivotal or key is Flame as, a, as an application to your business? Um, well, it's what we started with. Um, Trust and I, we had four people when we started. Trust and I were both Flame artists, and we had Phillies on CG and Chris, who's our producer. So, you know, half of our business already was two thirds of our business already was was Flame when we started, um, and that hasn't actually changed. You know, we've um, we always try to put the right software with the right artists. So it's all about the people. If we've got great people, we'll just give them the software that they need. But the people that we seem to have been attracting, the artists that we've attracting, have been predominantly Flame artists. So they just like to use Flame for the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably, in fact, I know exactly, 42% of our revenue comes from Flame on average uh, at the moment. So it's almost half of our business. Um, and the margins of the Flame work, the profit margins are, are higher than the other areas because they, you know, it takes up uh, studio space and client attendance and the whole hospitality side of things that sort of service element is higher with the flame work so that's the very sort of high-end offering that we pride ourselves on so it's absolutely pivotal that we got that bit working well yeah okay um well, i'm very impressed you know <laughs> the precise revenue that it draws that's <laughs> uh, that level of business analysis is very impressive so uh, i'm going to bring in the tech guys now i mean um and ask them a couple of questions i mean we're talking about flame and having to deliver that as a remote desktop remote artist experience under the sort of pandemic circumstances circumstances. I think Autodesk Flame, generally people would agree, Tim, that this is a, you know, it's a fairly idiosyncratic application. You know, it, it has its has its quirks in terms of installing and managing it. What would you perceive, what did you perceive to be the challenges in terms of getting that set up for a remote, for a remote, remote delivery? Yes, like you said, uh, Flame is rather specific in the hardware that it prefers to use. Um, in fact, it's only fairly recently that We've had the, the freedom uh, to choose different hardware other than the officially supported configuration. Yeah. And um, Flame also drives the graphics card very hard, as you would expect. So the uh, I guess the, the difficulties are that the way that Flame is set up, it's expecting to talk through a very specific number of uh, high-end NVIDIA Quadro graphics cards going to a small number of high-quality uh, video monitors. And it hasn't been very happy if you change any of that. Newer versions of Flame are a bit more relaxed about it, uh-huh. but even so, there's there's a, a few fundamental changes that you have to make to the way that um, Flame sets up the machine okay and so lee with a view to sort of approaching a, a, a remote session for flame or setting up remote artists for flame what were the options available from from a technology point of view when looking at doing that what 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 did you consider so flame um offers some unique challenges in the fact that you can have high resolution and high frame rates so in in that 
in that vein, there's only a couple of options that you can really do. I mean, a lot of people in this uh, scenario have taken machines home, but the, the smallest amount of data that we can move is the pixels. So at that point, we have a streaming pixel solution. There's two main ones. There's the, the remote boost from HP, formerly known as RGS, yeah. uh, and obviously Teradici. Um, the reason that we ended up going with Teradici was primarily the fact that Coffee and TV had bought a, uh, a router when they started the business. Uh, and the idea was that it was great at pulling stuff in, but not pushing stuff out as most routers are and most people do for what they want. It's internet access, mm -hmm. pulling stuff into the business. So um, the VPN part of the router um, would have struggled to do what we wanted it to do. Um, and Teradici actually allowed us to bypass that. So that was the fundamental reason why we chose Teradici. So Teradici meant that that wasn't a problem and, and you were able to work around it? Yeah, essentially uh, there's a cloud access manager in Teradici that allows us to bypass the VPN. So it makes it even more secure in some respects. So, were there some were there were there any changes to the underlying infrastructure that were required then? If you were just working around that problem with Teradici, uh, yeah, there was. Um, you know, with, with Teradici, the underlying infrastructure, we had to obviously hit some things for um, use where we're not impacting on their network as such, so that the 3D guys could use the VPN and we could use uh, Teradici to actually bypass that to allow us more bandwidth into their building from the externals right, and okay. uh, sorry we, we also had to build a uh, a cloud access connector server a, a physical extra server um on site which managed and brokered all of the uh, pcoip teradici connections uh, did you do that remotely tim or was that something you, you went to site physically to do before the, the full lockdown came into place the initial build was done on site but then all of the rest of the installation and config was all done remotely right okay so um so we're talking about teradici i mean tim could you explain in really simple terms what, what teradici fundamentally is as a technology yeah so as as lee said the the teradici um pcoip system involves sending pixels sending the output of a screen or a virtual screen to something at the other end of a network connection um, and then also sending keyboard mouse tablet inputs back through the connection to the initial machine so in, in a way it's like a um, what we used to call a, a kvm extender a keyboard video mouse extender except much more flexible because it goes over an ip network which means you can send it around your company over your ethernet network or you can send it over the internet and what are the what are the sort of a, the bandwidth requirements in terms of uh, i guess the minute you move outside someone's on-premise infrastructure um where you've got um possibly a you know a professional grade of you know bandwidth and internet connectivity and you're moving to what would currently be somebody's domestic environment i mean are there are there considerations into what level of capability they have at the domestic end from a bandwidth point of view i mean that's actually dictated to by screen resolution so that was one of the conversations that we had to have with trust and the boys at coffee and tv they've got lovely hdr 4k monitors which are wonderful when you're using flame on prem but uh, obviously 
4K being pushed over a domestic uh, is kind of a, a tough ask to do. So depending on resolution depends on bandwidth, to be, to be fair. Um, most of the guys took home 2K monitors or 2560 by 1600 monitors, which are more than fair game to do over um, a, a normal sort of ish connection. The ideal being, you know, normally if we sort of take a 2K monitor like that, we could be looking at anywhere between 30 and 50 megabits per second, dependent on frame rate, dependent on lots of things. It can go higher than that, but. Um, most of the domestics uh, and Teridici is very good at handling wide area networks in that vein. So uh, it's just bearable within, you know, a normal domestic connection. Right. And and um, with Teridici, I think there's more than one way we can deploy that. I mean, there is a hardware and a software op- option with with Teradici. I mean, what, what were the what were the were the, consider, the considerations specifically for coffee and TV that would guide us one way or the other in terms of whether it was going to be a, a hardware or a software um, deployment? It, it was actually the VPN that was the the, the real kicker because the three D guys were actually moving data in and out through the VPN, which was perfectly secure and happy. But obviously, to stream pixels at the same time as the guys are transferring data. Their, their experience would have been very poor using the remote workstation cards, which requires, still requires a VPN. Um, that was the choice when we suddenly decided that actually there was also quite a delay on getting uh, Teradici remote workstation cards. Um, so that was another reason for sort of backing a multiple horses at once. We sort of had the software solution in our back pocket. Uh, because we could actually do that remotely. So essentially, the decision was made for us by the fact that uh, we needed to get as much throughput as we could in and out of coffee and TV. Yeah, and as you say, there are you know there are kind of extended lead times at the moment with supplying any physical hardware to to studios. Um, you know, depending on what you're ordering, it can be a, a lesser impact. But most things seem to have slowed down a little bit, um, particularly actually with remote working, because it, it's suddenly a technology that everybody needs. Um, uh, rather than people using it through choice, which was the situation before, of course. So the, the next thing I wanted to ask really was, you know, Derek, um, the question for you, you mentioned when we first started this conversation that obviously Flame has a kind of client attend uh, component. You know, I mean, that's part of the reason that you choose to use Flame in your uh, in your sessions is that a client can see it and work live with an artist um, and get kind of dynamic real-time results i mean did you have any particular concerns about that that part of the workflow what if you were moving to a to a remote um delivery because obviously you're not going to be able to put a customer in the same room as an artist currently um no you're right we can't um and that is an element of uh it's one of our usps our, our artists are very um very user-friendly, so we like to get them in front of clients and sort of build that trust and you know that energy to work together. Um, and that is harder remotely, uh, but at the same time, the you know there's a lot of tech out there that improves that situation. So clients uh, aren't feeling totally isolated, I don't think, from from us. Uh, we we're using like just screen sharing on Zoom and the, you know any of the collaborative apps uh, works quite nicely. We've got um, Clearview Flex, I think it's called, from Soho Net, which is a way that the artist can see the Flame uh, UI in real time. So it feels like you're sitting next to the Flame artist watching what they do uh, on the machine itself, which is which is really cool. 
Um, and actually, there's a sort of a the, 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 because they're not sitting with you all day. When they are with you, they're focused on you, and you actually feels like you're getting a bit more quality time out of your clients um, rather than just hanging out in, the, in a nice studio in Soho. So it feels more intentional. And we, you know, for all the downsides, there's as many upsides. I think. Yeah, there's, there's like quite a lot of what we're finding in this current restricted way of working there are benefits as well as um as well as, well as downsides um so what in terms of um us escape working with you on the remote on the remote frame i mean what what did you deem to be a successful outcome i mean how did you measure that well you know we we had i think at the point of uh, deciding that we needed to evacuate we had nine flames running in the studio um but we could obviously see a tail off coming as shoots were getting closed down and live action stuff was stopping. Mm-hmm. So we were aiming for six or seven flames to be set up remotely would be success. Um, and that's certainly where we're at now. Um, so thanks for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we were always confident with our TeamViewer 3D CGI VPN type remote working solution because that's tried and tested and we've been doing that for a while. Um, so we weren't so concerned about that. But having heard some of the horror stories from some of our competitors where that when once the flame guys get on the VPN the same time as the CG guys are on the VPN and the whole thing just grinds to a halt, what I hadn't realized was that might be an issue. So I'm also, so success in retrospect is also the fact that our flame guys and our CG guys can actually work happily at the same time as each other. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, Lee, could you could you pick up on that slightly? I mean, I, that was, I was going to come to that because obviously Coffee and TV have, you know uh, what I would describe, or, or we might describe as a standard VFX CG artist running perhaps Maya or Nuke on a less intense workstation um, or less greedy um, workstation in terms of bandwidth consumption. Uh, what what are the technical um, the, te- the technical elements that are allowing us to kind of harness um, the flame workstations along with along with those other VFX guys and not and not destroy all of the bandwidth and capability. It's it's essentially as, as we've discussed. I mean, the, the big thing for coffee and TV was you know get get the guys out as quick as they can, and I think you can actively rely on three uh, D guys being a little bit more geeky and not requiring big flame hardware. So they've generally got machines at home, um, and they've generally got software that they can work with at home. Um, it's not always the case, but you know a lot of the time. And, and in the case of these guys, they've been working that way for some time. So the VPN route was fairly straightforward for them to absolutely just dial in from home, pick up the scene files and things that they needed for Maya, Nuke, and whatever, and just do you know some general CG work. That wasn't a problem. The problem was obviously the, the VPN. Uh, it, it essentially gets to a point where if all you're doing is tra- transferring data up and down it, there's no bandwidth. So someone has to lose. If we did the flame down the VPN as well, then the experience that the flame artists would have got would have been absolutely abysmal and they wouldn't have been able to successfully run flame as they were. Uh, and, and alternatively, the download times for the guys in CG land would have reached astronomically high levels. By separating the two out um, and using the cloud access manager, as Tim mentioned, that we installed, that allows us to essentially just send pixels out. So nothing leaves coffee and TV data-wise through that route. And, you know, we're already in discussions with Trust and the guys there about post, uh, 
you know, post virus, what, what what the plans are going forward. And the idea will the ideal would be to obviously put all of the CG guys on the same mechanism as the flame, because then essentially all the data is secure and left at um, coffee and TV. Plus, we're not restricted in any way by a piece of hardware that's trying to protect anything. So primarily it was the divide and conquer that really saved us. Right, okay. And um, just just to delve into some real technical nitty-gritty, I mean, we, we mentioned before that Flame is a, a slightly precious application in the in terms of needing to run on a very, very specific system requirement. Um, I know that there are issues or challenges with getting um, sort of Teradici performance um, to, to run well with, with Wacom's um, and pen and tablet um, performance. I mean, could you speak a little bit about the real particular challenges around that and perhaps some of the challenges with um, with bit depth and audio and, and some of that real um, real detail. We've been doing remote flames and flames for some time now and obviously there's lots of issues where things such as RGS, which is a wonderful streaming product, which was the alternative, but it, it does have issues with only being able to do 44 kilohertz audio, whereas most broadcast audio is always 48 kilohertz. So there, therein lies, you know, a massive obstacle to begin with. Um, now, Teradici does support 48, so there's a, another aspect for it. Wacom's in Flame and Linux, oh, well, Wacom's in Linux period have been the bane of a lot of people's life for a long time. Um, and Flame just adds to that woe even more with, you know, dependent on drivers and stuff it's got a lot lot better in recent years and you know the recent versions have been you know aren't too bad to get working but uh, anybody that's tried to get a whack on working remotely on either solution will will feel that pain um and there are idiosyncrasies about which version of hardware which version whether you're using the remote workstation card and if you are what firmware is on it um you know what it, the Wacom itself causes a lot of issues, uh, and what type of Wacom it is. The older Wacoms now just aren't supported, so anything that's not HID compliant, USB, uh, that can cause hell. But yeah, it's you know it's been one of those things that if everything's the right version and the right format and right everything, it all joins up and works really nicely. Good. Well, that's, yeah, it sounds like it's all moved on a little bit. I mean, I know that we've we've certainly spoken to studios previously where you know whack on performance, um, you know, can be can be a difficult issue. Um, Tim, have you got anything to add to that? I mean, I know that you spend a lot of time actually deploying these systems. I mean, where when you're not getting you know uh, good performance immediately once something's been configured, where do you start to hunt for troubleshooting, and where do you look in the in the stack to to, to sort of diagnose problems if you if you come across them? Well, I guess the uh with Wacom tablets specifically, uh, it does tend to depend on, as Lee says, which firmware you're running on the uh, on the Teradici side and which Wacom driver you're running and sometimes which version of the tablet. They do work if everything lines up and it's certainly much easier now than it has been in the past. Uh, it feels to me like uh, over the past couple of months even everybody's kind of released new versions of software and new hardware revisions which have fixed most of these earlier problems one one other question about that perhaps is you know we we know that there are some there are lots of legacy flame systems out there i mean flame is a is is not a, a cheap solution to you know 
to invest in and maintain and you know you've got the software and then uh, obviously a new version of that appears every year but you have um i mean there were probably well there were three supported hardware configs for the workstation on the hp z8 platform but i think now two since um i think the z820 option is going end of life um, but I mean, do, is there a preference in terms of what we would want somebody to be running today? I mean, do, do we look look for the latest and best spec that we can possibly access? Um, I would say that yes, particularly newer versions of the Flame software. So either Flame uh, 2020.3.1 or the newly released Flame 2021, they are much better set up for this kind of slightly non-standard work as in uh, working remotely rather than connected directly to a monitor. Uh, with older versions of the hardware, I suppose with the if you have a, a host card, a remote workstation card in the machine, then it doesn't make so much of a difference. Though you might have problems if you're still running, uh, if you're running an older Flame that's still running the older um, CentOS version 7.2, then you may have some uh, driver conflicts but with the newer version of the software you'd really you'd really much rather be running on a later a later spec machine yes uh, yeah. either centos 7.4 or again the newly newly released uh, centos 7.6 um autodesk version which uh does include newer versions of audio drivers newer versions of wacom drivers uh, and will play much nice well much more nicely with uh teradici pcoip hardware um, thank you for that. So, um... I, th I think you mentioned Jason um, about bit depth, and I did. Uh, yes, I did ask you that. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, bit depth is is an issue. Um, all of the remote streaming uh, pixel protocols are eight bit. So um, obviously, as I was saying about coffee and TV, Derek and the boys have 4K HDR type monitors, which are wonderful and can display. All the colors in all the glory um the problem with teradici is is that it is an 8-bit format so you know it will do true color and it's 16.7 million but it won't give you that extended range that you might like if you were actually on prem so if you were doing hdr type workflow or if you're doing color grading critical workflows then obviously that's an issue i mean it's without a doubt it's good enough to do sort of match grade type workflows that's not a problem but if you want to see it in all its glory i think it's sort of you know that's where the client attends sit in a room with a lovely big monitor and all the good stuff still needs to happen on prem at that point okay and i mean other other coffee and tv artists are they working with a dual monitor setup at home or are they working with a, a single monitor at the minute, it's just a single 2560 by 1600, the 2K right. monitor, and that's more, you know, down to bandwidth limitations, to be honest. Uh -huh. Okay, um, great. Thank you very much, um, Derek. So, what, um, you know, it's, it's quite, a, uh, you know, it's quite a positive story um, in lots of respects, really. This this process that you've been through, finding the positives in a difficult situation. I mean, what does, you know, you, you mentioned at the outset that. That there was this appetite to to have a small or or a, a remote deployment in the early days, and you know, and that sort of come back full circle. I mean, if how do you see it all? I mean, when when the the lockdown or the restrictions start to ease up or are restricted, I mean, do you think that you're just going to go back to to working as you did before, or do you think there'll be a legacy or some learnings from this this period that you'll carry forward into what you you can you go on to do? Well, there's a, there's a few big questions there. 
Um, Sorry, yeah, it was a bit expensive. You could you can yeah, break yeah, off, yeah. you can break off whichever piece of that sounds like you can answer it. <laughs> okay, let me, I'll try to do it chronologically. Um, obviously, it's really hard to. I wish I had a crystal ball and could foresee the future. Um, it feels like the social distancing measures, as, as lockdown gets eased, I don't think it's going to um, be straight back to how we were before. Um, so we're very keen to be ahead of that curve, and we're already looking at ways that we can use our two separated floors um, with uh, visitor books and contact tracing and making sure that we have and split shifts so that, and deep cleans on Friday nights. And there's a whole sort of process involved that we're now planning for what when we can get back into the studio, what that looks like. Um, so that's sort of stage one. Stage two is what does the world look like from a business perspective? Um, how much work is there? How many competitors will still be around? And how do we optimize, really, is, is, is the question. Is um, I think the, the one thing I've learned from running this business is that in every difficulty, there is an opportunity. Um, and we're in a very relatively robust position, I think, in terms of being able to you know, keep ticking over as, as we've been talking. We certainly don't anticipate needing uh, any extra Soho floor space, which is what we were thinking about four weeks ago. Um, you know, we were just working out how we could, whether we should expand and where we should expand to and in what areas and the rest of it. So I think physically we don't need more space anymore, which is a great cost saving in terms of the, the business planning. Whether we, if, the, if there's not as much work around and we need to shrink, then that's still okay. You know, we've got two floors, so we can probably retrench back into one and use the, now we've got a, a virtual studio all around the country with artists everywhere. In fact, all over the world that can all connect successfully. We've got artists um, at the moment in Sweden and Finland and everyone connecting into our studio and, you know, working successfully with us. So uh, we're certainly fighting, we're, we're, we're bigger than our physical footprint, always have been bigger than our physical footprint. Um, but this has definitely pushed that remote working mentality forward a couple of years, I think. Um, we'll certainly be looking to optimize cloud rendering and workstations and that whole, you know, that, that leap into the cloud, that's all, surely that's going to happen much earlier than it was otherwise would have done. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's interesting. I guess, it, you know, the, the Soho property um, cost has been a problem for for creative studios for quite some time. I mean, as you know, you as we found with other studios that we speak to, you know, the increasing cost, the increasing cost of uh, a rental property leases in 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 the West End, you know, has squeezed people out, and we've seen you know quite large migrations north of Oxford Street and over to you know the city and you know Old Street and various places. Um, I mean, to some extent, a, a situation, I suppose it's true to say that a situation like this has sort of, in some ways, forced you to kind of solve that problem in another way in terms of your comment about not needing further space. Yeah, you're right. And uh, more than that, it actually made us, you know, because of the technical setup that we've got now, where we essentially, we are our cloud, like our technical, um, you know, compute cloud is in a Soho studio. Um, you know, it's secure and it's you know, it, and it's working well, but it, does it need to be in a Soho studio? Um, I would have thought not. Uh, it might be better, uh, better fit for purpose if it's in a dedicated server room in Swindon somewhere with, you know, 24 hour security and air conditioning, like all of the, you know, the, 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 the jazz that a proper um, infrastructure server, server room would have. Um, so it feels like, um, moving that kit out of, you know, just using the studio space for what it's designed for, which is clients and 
presentations, it's, I think that we'll be doing much, using it much more in that style moving forward rather than just having to be there because that's where all of our stuff is. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that is interesting. So it, it starts to sort of shrink down the, the need for the, the physical, the size of the physical footprint in, in central London, doesn't it? And, and have, you know, a lot of the technology dispersed in other locations, you know, and, you know, in effect, you've had a, you, you've, you've kind of proved that point with, with the way you've managed to work under the, the pandemic. Um, I think we're probably, uh, you know, just about going to wrap things up here, guys. But I, just over to Tim and, and Lee, um, you know, in terms of a wish list um, with respect to to the work we've done with the, the remote flames at Coffee and TV, I mean, are there features within the technology stack that you're using that are missing or that you'd like to see? I mean, what, you know, if, you, if I was to sort of, if you were to have your crystal ball and say, well, look, if we had to do this again next year for somebody um, or in six months time, we'd really like that to be available or we'd really like this to be available um, in, in the existing products, technology products you're using or indeed even a technology product that doesn't exist yet. I mean, what's, do you have a view on that? For me, it's the, the 10 bit support in the protocol. And I know that there's lots of people all working on that as we speak, because once we have gradable machines at home then the only you know the biggest issue is sdi obviously uh, it would be lovely to run remote flames everywhere but sdi as a format is very old very outdated um it's brilliant without a doubt but um there are newer techniques that could offer us the same thing so um at some point we will want to run flame remotely but with a reasonable HDR output that people could grade with or look at color correct workflows. And that's going to be dependent on a 10-bit format being available that would allow us to do that type of workflow. So RGS, Remote Boost now, or whether it's Teradici or AN, a new one, you know, if, if a streaming protocol, pixel protocol provider comes along and offers 10-bit with 48 kilohertz and maybe even Dolby, you know, type sound quality that people could actually stream to their homes, then that's going to make a whole different experience become available. That makes fully remote working available. At the minute, you're still going to have to go into the office to do certain parts of the process. You know, we, we, we've 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 shown and proven in in this crisis that essentially ninety. Nine, 90, 95% of the workflow can be achieved at home. Um, it's just that last 5% of finesse that you can only get from good quality hardware, good quality everything else. And that's predisposed that, you know, also monitors are going to get cheaper, but be able to do, you know, much higher quality color maybe even using your TV at home, that type of workflow. So there are ways and stuff there that are still missing from it. Um, audio is still a, the bane of our lives and we're still trying to you know, make sure that audio plays ball across everything that we do because it's always treated as sort of like second citizen and it's just as important. Um, but yeah, I think I think the, the protocol needs that 10-bit boost. You know, you know, ideally 12, but... 10, 10 will do at the minute and because bandwidth is such a restrictive thing you know and obviously this is highlighting the whole you know government's approach to roll out of high speed internet again so the more internet that we can get to everybody the more that we will be able to do this type of workflow from home so and it, mm -hmm. you know, it focuses i think at the minute normally people buy internet for home for tv phone and a little bit of internet i think you know 
the more that we do it, you know, I'm people might look at cheap business grade connections if they are planning to work from home a lot, you know, so there are, you know, lots of lots of pieces of the puzzle that will change, but it will change how we approach it. Yeah, there's always somebody making a, a lot of money in a crisis, isn't there? And potentially the, uh, you know, the network companies are going to benefit here in that bandwidth becomes even more of a, you know, a, a, an essential utility than it, than it already was, I guess. Um, um, Tim, just 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 to finish off with you on the tech side. I mean, is there any anything particularly that would make your life easier when you're thinking about configuring configuring systems and workstations? I mean, is there anything in the technology that you wish was there that isn't currently? What would be nice would be if everybody had faster internet connections. Honestly, <laughs> so 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 yeah. So all power to the network companies then. <laughs> Spend more money on bandwidth. Um, I mean, uh, just just as a as a comparison, I guess. Um, a typical home broadband connection, the uh, the sort of BT Infinity grade one, I think the standard is about 35 megabits and the higher speed one is about 70, 75 megabits mm-hmm. uh, with a virgin cable connection being a lot higher, um, anything, you know, up to one or 200 megabits. Um, and yes, as, as Lee said, you want to allow maybe 50 megabits for a, a 2K size screen, which okay. is okay if it's just one person, but if you are working from home with with a family who also want to use your internet connection, um, you're going to start having to fight each other for bandwidth. Indeed, yes, I've, uh, I've, I've experienced that very same problem myself today, given that I'm working from home and have children trying to homeschool across the internet. So everybody's using every last drop of connectivity that we have and uh, performance has been um, largely okay, but this has been the day when I've noticed it. But um, I mean, Derek, is that, do you think that it changes, again, the last question to you perhaps, does this change the way Coffee and TV and you guys think about bandwidth as a resource? Is it something that you now think about differently in terms of it being an essential utility, perhaps the way you thought about it before? Yes, of course. Um, I think this has made a lot of people think about lots of things differently. Things we took for granted before, uh, we didn't realize quite how essential they were. Um, we are, we had actually already commissioned the 10 gig lines we put into the studio um, and was hoping that we'd be able to use this time to be digging up pavements and uh, and accessing that. But unfortunately, not, that's not going to happen until we get back into the studio. But having um, a sort of fail-safe line, so we're going to keep the existing uh, one gig connection and then have a 10 gig connection alongside it as a, as a fallback because obviously it's just as essential now as, as electricity. You know, we can't run a company without fast internet so like we can't run it without electricity so um yeah so it's absolutely essential i'm I, i'm sure the pressure from and the realization of the general public you know at times like this will make change happen more quickly so i would have thought in a couple of years time we'll be looking back on a differently connected country i'd like to think i think you could well be right um well i think that about wraps it up um from us um I'd like to thank uh, all of our participants. So thank you very much, Derek. Thank you for contributing your time to this discussion. Greatly appreciated. That's all we've got time for. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Derek, um, Lee and Tim um, for contributing this afternoon. Uh, Really appreciated. In particular, thank you to Derek um, uh, for taking time out uh, from what I'm sure is a busy schedule to to have that discussion with us. Um, Please uh, like and subscribe and uh, and you will find links to um, uh, all of the technology we've been discussing this afternoon on our website um, should you uh, wish to explore further interests. Thank you very much.